Christ, and we pray to you like this. Amen. There is no distance Cannot be covered Over and over You're not defenseless I'll be a shelter I'll be your armor I hear you whisper Underneath your breath I hear
Well, today, um, I was asked to mention it. We didn't, uh, we didn't do it in the first service because it didn't come up. But in the second service, I've been asked to mention that Nora Ferguson, some of you know this, there's a get-together or party for her today out at uh, Jam and Jenna, Jim and Jana Mitchell's. Jam, Jam Mitchells. Um, they live out on 20, out by the grain elevator, right across from Bill Bayless's house. Um, anyway, it's from 2 to 5, from Nora Ferguson, 90 years old. I uh, just want to let you know that. You guys can go out there today and show up. If my information's wrong, show up anyway. Just swing in. Say hi. Um, they'd be happy to have you. They don't know it, but they'd be happy to have you. Uh, no, the information's correct, so please be there for that if you have a chance, if you have a chance to. Uh, throughout time, there have been illnesses uh, and, and sicknesses. I was under the weather a little bit last week, and um, I don't even remember uh, some of the things that happened. And by the way, doing that, also makes me appreciate very much, Randy says this a lot, our worship team and what they do and, and how they do it every week and just the, the wonderful gifts that they've been given. Um, but there was, there was a lot happening last week. But throughout time this has happened, illnesses and, and, and plagues that encompass a community or even a country and sometimes even a continent. Uh, plagues that'll, that'll just wipe things out and really hurt people and, 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 and almost just, just take away um, life, just take away multiple swaths of life and even generations of life. These plagues are passed really through three different reasons or three different ways. And according to the World Health Organization, between animals or between humans, it's passed this way by infected tissue coming in contact with infected tissue or inhaling of infected respiratory droplets. You guys have probably heard a lot about stuff like that over the past few years. Uh, but the third way is this, and I know you've heard this in the past, the third way that the plague spreads, or the, really the way the plague spreads, was fleas. Fleas. People would get fleas from rats, and there's the plague. Fleas. If you lay down with dogs... You're going to get up with fleas. You lie down with dogs, you're going to get up with fleas. And we're going to see Judah lie down with dogs today. And God doesn't allow them just to get away with having fleas. He says, look, you're going to be corrected because of this. You have allowed yourself to become corrupted. You have allowed yourself to be polluted by the world. And you're going to be corrected because of it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the love that you give us. We thank you, Father, that we can be challenged and we are challenged throughout your word. We thank you for men and women that have come before us to teach us and to guide us and to help us understand what your word says and your very nature. We thank you for these prophets. We thank you that we can learn through these prophets, Father, that we can apply so many of these things, not just to our culture, Father, but to our, our own personal lives and to our homes, our houses. We ask that you will help us 
not only to be challenged, but to fully understand what that challenge is and, and to live up to it today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Micah, Micah. We are in Micah today, and we're going to be in Micah for a couple of weeks. Uh, we started with Habakkuk, and one of the reasons we're going through the Minor Prophets is not just to apply some of the things that they talk about in our own lives, but we also want to see the fact that God's promises come through, right? God always comes through with what he says. Sometimes it takes many years. Sometimes it even takes multiple generations. But every one of the things that God says is going to happen or I'm going to do or whatever it may be actually ends up happening time after time after time. So we want to learn that as we go through the prophets. But the other thing we want to do as we go through the minor prophets is just have an idea of who they are, what they are, and what they're talking about. So we need to recap that a little bit. Habakkuk we started with, and he's prophesying to Judah about this correction that God's going to have on them using the Babylonians, and he prophesies to them just a, a few years before that actually happens. Then we backed up in time a little bit and went to Nahum. Nahum's talking to the Assyrians, and he's telling the Assyrians pretty much the same thing. You guys have been bad. You're filled with violence. You're filled with corruption. You're filled with idolatrous, idolatrous practices. You know better. You've heard better, at least. And so God's going to correct you as well. And he's going to lay waste eventually to your empire. He's also going to use the Babylonians to do that. It's essentially what those two prophets are talking about. Now we back up even further in time. Okay, so we've seen the completed picture with Habakkuk. We know the Babylonians are heading in. And they're going to they're gonna change the face of the world. Now we back up even more and we look at Micah, Micah today. Micah prophesied about 20 years before Assyria was really a superpower. Okay, so we've backed up quite a bit now. Micah's prophesying before Assyria comes in and wipes out the northern ten kingdoms of Israel. About 20 years before that. So not long. Assyria is gaining in strength and gaining in power. All right, so, so it's not going to be very long before the northern ten kingdom or the northern ten tribes of Israel are wiped out and carried off into oblivion. Micah shows up and he's prophesying 20 years before that. And he does address the northern ten tribes of Israel. But that's not really who he's talking to. Micah is talking to the southern two tribes of Judah. Southern two tribes of Judah. And he tells them the very same thing Habakkuk told them. Guys, you're screwing up. And God's going to come and he's going to correct you with a very heavy hand. Yet, from the time of Micah, that doesn't actually happen for another 140 years. 140 years. He's prophesying to Judah about this correction from the Babylonians 140 years before it happens. The point is this. God's not playing around. When he says that this correction needs to take place, when he says that you have been given a command and you're not following that command, I'm going to change, I'm going to correct this attitude, I'm going to correct what you're doing, why you're doing it, I'm going to discipline you. And you may not experience it tomorrow. That doesn't mean that we should not care about what God says. It's going to happen. And we're going to see the effects in our life, we're going to see the effects in the world by our disobedience of Christ, we're going to see the effects in our family, we're going to see the effects generations to come by dis disobedience to Jesus. And that's what we see now. 
We see a horrible, hate-filled world filled with depravity because, of the hate, because people hate Jesus Christ. Don't add to that. Don't add to that. Follow Jesus in your own heart, your life, your home, and your family. God says you're going to be corrected. He says this. This is kind of the main line of Micah. This is what the Lord requires of you. This is what the Lord requires of you. If you read through Micah, you're going to find there's really no better explanation as to why God is correcting the Israelites, both north and south. There's no better explanation than the book of Micah. There's no better description of his plan and our hope and his eternal love in the midst of all of this hardship. You see, it's in Micah that we realize that God is going to punish the northern ten tribes He's also going to punish the southern two tribes. And then he also says, by the way, don't lose hope because in Bethlehem, somebody's going to be raised up. And so we see the entire picture in Micah. We see the entire idea that God has in order to correct his people to live righteously, but also never to abandon those people because he's going to save them eternally, save you and save me, certainly. Micah really seems to be, I think, the prophet that lays out the whole story. Again, prophesying to both Israel and Judah, but primarily Judah. And Micah is not the longest of the minor prophets, but he is one of the longer ones. Chapter 1, starting in verse 1, the Lord of, word of the Lord came to Micah of Moresheth during the reign of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So that's how we know when he lived, kings of Judah. The vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Samaria would be the northern ten tribes of Israel. Jerusalem would be the southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. They would be the southern two. That's just the capital cities, Samaria and Jerusalem. When we talk about Assyria, sometimes we say Assyria, sometimes we say Nineveh. Nineveh is just the capital city. Okay? So he's talking about the north, and he's talking about the south. We have a list of kings. We know when he's prophesying, about 735, maybe 12 years, maybe, maybe between 12 and 20 years before this northern kingdom is, is decimated by the Assyrians. So look at verse 2. Verse 2 says this, Hear, you peoples, all of you, listen, earth, and all who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him, and the valleys split apart like wax before the fire. Like water rushing down a slope. All this because of Jacob's transgression. That's another way of saying Israel. Jacob's transgression. Because of the sins of the people of Israel. What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? All the evil things they do there. What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria. He's talking about the northern ten tribes. I will make Samaria a heap of rubble a place for the planting of vineyards. I will pour her stones into the valley. I will lay bare her foundations. All her idols will be broken to pieces. All her temple gifts will be burned with fire. I will destroy all of her images since she gathered her gifts from the wages of prostitutes. That, this is idol worship here. As the wages of prostitutes, they will again be used. Because of this, I will weep I will wail, I will go about barefoot and naked, I will howl like a jackal and moan like an owl. This isn't good, this isn't going to be fun. Look at verse 9. For Samaria's plague is incurable, 
It has spread to Judah. It has reached the very gate of my people, even to Jerusalem itself. Church, we see a couple of things here. Actually, we see three things. And just as a recap, first of all, we see the northern king of Israel is going to fall. This is verses 3 through 8. That's going to fall fairly soon. Secondly, we see that this is a prophecy, again, about Judah. Even though they're talking a little bit about the northern ten tribes, he's focusing on the southern kingdom of Judah. All right, That's, that's Judah and Benjamin, those tribes in the south. Thirdly, we see this. And again, I want you to key in on verse 9. For Samaria's plague is incurable. It has spread to Judah. It has reached the very gates of my people, even to Jerusalem itself. Church, God wants Judah, 140 years before this thing's going to happen, he wants Judah to learn the very same things he wants you and me to learn today. Look what he's saying. One group of people has become corrupted to the point of no return. And while that's bad enough, they are infecting another group of people. And that other group is just letting them do it. It's just letting them do it. In fact, they're inviting them in, and they're participating in some of the horrible things that they do. And how does God refer to these people that are being ambushed by this plague? How does he describe the group that's becoming now infected? He said, my people, the very gates of my people. You may want to, you may, you may want to stay out of the prophets. You know, there's a lot of people that say, hey, look, why don't you focus on the New Testament instead of the Old Testament? We live in the New Testament. We live in the New Testament church. Why don't we read what they have to say? Why don't we read what the New Testament has to say and how, uh, and, and the advice that it gives, the commands that it gives. Look, I don't know about you. But that verse 9 sounds an awful lot like James chapter 1. Religion that our God, the God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, that's justice and mercy, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. To keep oneself from being polluted by the world. What is God telling Judah? Samaria's plague is incurable, and now what have you allowed it to do? Come down and infect all of you. That's why you're going to be handled with a very strict judgment. Because you are my people. And you've allowed yourself to be integrated with idol worship, with lack of justice, and lack of mercy. Over and over. They start and over and over and over and over again. This happens throughout time and history. That there is something holy and there is something beautiful and there is something precious and there is something righteous and there is something saved and it gets corrupted by those around it. I don't know when this is going to stop. I don't know where, I don't know how, but I do know this. I don't know when it's going to stop around the world, but I know it can stop today in your heart, your mind, your home, your family, in this place. Not to be corrupted by that which we see around us that has fallen away from honoring Jesus and taken upon themselves a life of idol worship. Because that's where we live, church. We live in a fallen world that worships idols. We live in a fallen world that cares not about justice, cares not about mercy unless it serves themselves. 
and certainly doesn't care about walking humbly with God. And that's really what this plague was. It was a fourfold plague. It had nothing to do with physical illness. Idolatry, we find in Micah 1, 7, injustice, lack of mercy, and prideful disobedience. And he tells Judah, you're being infected. My people are being infected by this. What's idol worship? You know, sadly, there is a history of idol worship with Israel. Idol worship, punishment, restoration, and then idol worship again. Over and over and over throughout the Old Testament history. Idols are anything that takes the place of the authority of God in your life. Now, sometimes we think of them as just stone or wood or blocks, you know, something, that have no life in them. Their power only exists in the minds of the worshipers. You know, one of my favorite stories is, is, is the Ark of the Covenant being carried off, being stolen and put in the, the temple of this false god, this idol, Dagon. You know, you find this in 1 Samuel 5, and, and, and everybody wakes up the next day, and this statue of this crazy-looking false idol god thing is flat on the ground in front of the Ark of the Covenant, almost in a form of worship of the Ark of the Covenant. You get a little glimpse of the humor of God there even, I think, too. It's a, it's a great story. But there's nothing in the idol itself. The power simply comes from the heart of those who have denied the power of God and chosen to disobey him. Isaiah 42 says this, look, God does not tolerate these things. I am the Lord. That's my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. Even today, people bow down. You see this before statues and icons, specifically forbidden throughout Scripture. As God says, you shall not have no other gods before me. Do not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, earth beneath, or the waters below. Don't make anything in my image. You know why God says this? Because there's already something made in his image. You and me. He says, you think it's hurting me when you guys worship idols? No, you're hurting yourself. You're hurting yourself. Maybe you think you don't have a problem with this, because I don't know about you, but I haven't physically bowed down to anything I've ever created with my hands, all right? And trust me, if you saw the stuff that I created with my hands, you wouldn't either, okay? But idolatry, you know, extends way beyond the worship of handcrafted things. It is anything that takes the authority of God in your life. Modern idols are varied. We bow down to them sometimes physically, but really what it is, we bow down to them spiritually, mentally, emotionally. Sometimes it's pride, self-centeredness, greed, gluttony, love for possession. And ultimately, it's rebellion against God. Sometimes it's just somebody we're terrified of. Why? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Because we've replaced the fear of God with fear of everything else. And God hates these things. Sometimes the biggest idol that we've got to get over is the one we see in the mirror every day. Sometimes it's the job. Sometimes it's the hobby. Sometimes it's the, the kids. Sometimes Whatever your idol is, they take the place of the authority of God in your life. That's idol worship. And this is what the sickness was. That's what God refers to this as, as sickness and illness. And he tells Jerusalem, you are letting this into your home. 
He's telling them this 140 years before the fact. Why? So that they can learn it and change it. The same reason he tells you and me throughout all the wonderful things he tells us throughout his prophets. So that we can learn it in our own lives. So that we can not be polluted by the world. So that we can see our homes, our families, our own hearts, our own minds, our church. And say, you're not coming through that door. See, that's the problem with plague. That's the problem with pollution. The pollution of the world. It doesn't happen all at once. It's little by little, isn't it? It's a small piece here, a small bit there. It's this moment where we say, ah, it's really not a big deal. According to God, it's a huge deal. When we allow ourselves to be given over to some other authority in our life, that's idol worship, that is being polluted by the world. But they also had a problem with justice, mercy, and humble obedience. They would understand justice as a sense of right and wrong. A sense of right and wrong. A moral standard. And they were having a hard time with that. They didn't realize that that was as important as God says it is because the moral standard is based upon God's character. And so he says the same thing to us. You are to have a moral standard in your life. There is a right and there is a wrong. And you don't get to decide what that is. This is what he's telling Judah. This is what he's telling us. You don't get to decide what right and wrong is. That's not your place. You're not big enough. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You didn't make this. Right? You didn't set the rules. What do I say? I get all filled with pride and I say, I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to determine what right and wrong is anyway. This is what Judah's doing and why Judah ends up being destroyed. There is a standard of right and wrong. This is what he's talking about when he talks about justice. Micah 2, 1 through 2 says this, Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning's light they carry it out because it's in their power to do so. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them in their, with their inheritance or of their inheritance. He goes on to remind them of destruction that's going to come upon them because they don't have this internal moral code based upon the character of God that they know. Verses 3 and 4 in Micah 2, Therefore the Lord says, I am planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly, for it will be a time of calamity. In that day, people will ridicule you. They will taunt you with this mournful song. We are utterly ruined. My people's possession is divided up. He takes it from me. He assigns our friends are our fields to the traders. And none of this sounds good, church. This is simply the result of a proud heart in Judah, one built on selfishness and disobedience to God, even though they know better, even though they knew God was near, even though you know better, even though I know better. We know God cares. We know he's near. He is talking about separation here. Look at 8 through 10 in chapter 2. Lately, my people have risen up like an enemy. An enemy. Lately, my people have risen up like an enemy. I thought they were friends. I thought these were his people. I thought you were his people, right? Those who profess the name of Jesus Christ. He says, no, idolatry is you rising up as an enemy. Disobedience is rising up as an enemy. 
lack of right and wrong and a moral standard is rising up as an enemy. Lack of mercy, lack of humility is rising up as an enemy. Lately, my people have risen up like an enemy. You strip off the rich robe from those who pass by without a care, like men returning from battle. You drive the women of my people from their pleasant homes. You take away my blessing. You take away my blessing from their children forever. Get up, go away. This is not your resting place. It's been defiled. It's been ruined beyond all remedy. Look at 6-7. You ever get convicted of something and try to stick your head in the sand? You ever get convicted of something and try to ignore it? The prophets are doing the same thing. The prophets are saying this. The prophets of Judah are saying, do not prophesy. They're prophesying. Don't prophesy about these things. Disgrace is not going to overtake us. We'll be fine. How many times do we disagree with Jesus? Do we disobey Jesus and we think that it's not a big deal? This is what the prophets are saying to Judah. Forget about it. Isn't he a loving God? I mean, doesn't he fulfill his promises? Doesn't he love us? Doesn't he give to us? Doesn't he this? Doesn't he that? Just don't prophesy about the bad stuff. Let's just pretend he's our buddy, right? We know better, don't we? And the prophets don't want to teach. They don't want to tell. And because of this, Judah ends up being destroyed. Our lives end up being destroyed because we refuse to see that idol worship, a lack of a moral compass based upon the character of God, mercy and patience towards other people, and humble disobedience destroys our lives. And we just keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. Why? Because we're being polluted by the world around us. We're in enemy territory, church. This isn't your land. This isn't your home. Your home is eternal. Your land is eternal. Don't be corrupted by the world in which you live. Don't lie down with dogs. You are going to get up with fleas. More fleas than you already have. And it's the fleas that bring the plague, church. It's the fleas that bring the plague. He gets back to proper justice again in chapter 3. Then I said, listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, should you not embrace justice? You who hate good and love evil, you tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones. You eat my people's flesh and strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces. You chop them up like meat for the pan, the flesh for the pot. What is he saying? You hate good so much, you have denied the power of God in your life so often that you treat other people like animals. You treat other people like animals. And that was never the point. The point of your life, the point of my life, the point of Judah, and certainly the point of Israel, who God has said is already without cure, is to treat people with love and kindness and justice and mercy and humility. That was always the point. You know, Jesus sums up his entire ministry during the Olivet Discourse as he sits down with his disciples. And he basically says, okay, everything we just talked about over the last three years, here's what I want you to do. Put it all in this one line. I want you to love others the way I love you. That's it. It's the last order he gives before his crucifixion. He says, I want you to love others the way I love you. That's what all of this was. That's what all of this was about, guys. That was always the point of following God's law. It was always the point of following Jesus. To treat others with love. To treat others with humility. Treat them with justice. Treat them with mercy. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. This is on the front of your bulletin. I don't have this on the screen. I printed it on everybody's bulletin. It says this. You can read it. They're asking him. 
They're asking Micah. They're asking God. They're saying, what do you want from us? Do you want us to, do you want us to sacrifice more? Do you want us to give you more money at the temple? Do you want us to be nicer to people? Do you want us to dress better, sing better uh, songs? Do you want us to do this, do that? What do you want from us, God? Do you want us to sacrifice more bulls and rams? What do you want? God says this, chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. That's what God wants. That's what he wants. And I'll tell you what, there are days I nail it. There's days I don't. None of this, church, is about earning salvation. We already talked about that at communion time. We're not earning anything here. God has called us out. He called out Judah. He called out you and me. He called out his disciples. He has called us out. And he said, I want you to live after my character and if you don't there is going to be a price to pay and there's going to be prices to pay generations to come there's going to be prices to pay in your church there's going to be prices to pay in your homes there's going to be this discipline that's going to come upon you what does paul say if we would judge ourselves we would not come under judgment judge ourselves when it comes to idol worship is there anything that takes the place of the authority of god in your life when God's up against anything else, does he lose all the time? He's lost in my life some days. I mean it. I'm serious about that. And every time that happens, I feel guilty. Every time that happens, I feel weak. You want to know the truth? I feel weak when that happens. Justice. There is right and there is wrong. And you don't set it. God sets it. He invented it based upon who he is mercy this is treating other people the way you want to be treated this is putting yourself in their shoes and realizing they're struggling just the way you are and you need to be patient with somebody you don't need to be a doormat but you need to be patient with them that's mercy and finally walking humbly with your god that's getting pride out of the way and realizing that god is god and we are not you are important you have value you have mission you have purpose but remember we've said this a million times you are not the main character of your story. I'm not the main character of my story. The king is. And the king always will be. That's what Judah was called to do. And Judah refused to do it. And he was, they were called for 140 years. You're called today. You're called today. And I hope convicted today, too, to live out this profession of Jesus Christ in your life. By the way, if you do examine your life, and you know that you do it well. First of all, don't be afraid to address that. Paul addresses that a lot in his life. The places he screws up and messes up and the places he has victories. Make sure you do that. But also make sure you're there to help somebody else see what they're missing. To take that walk, to take that step, to realize what idol worship is in their lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can be just incredibly challenged by this today, Father. We, we thank you that we can see weak spots in our faith when we look at so many people that, that, that profess your name. 
we can, we can reflect upon ourselves, we can examine our own lives, and we can realize that we have weak spots in our faith. Father, we do not want to be polluted. We don't want to have an incurable plague. We don't want to be polluted by a fallen world around us. We don't want to be infested with the fleas, Father. We want to know that you are our God and you are sovereign in our lives. That we have a wonderful, a wonderful opportunity to express our gratitude to Jesus through our obedience to him. Father, please protect our homes and our minds and our hearts. Protect our families. We live in a fallen world. We are surrounded on all sides, just like Judah, and we don't want to give up the way Judah did. We want to continue to honor Jesus as our Savior and our King. Father, convict our hearts today. Help us to do our best. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing. All your ways are good, all your ways are sure. I will trust in you alone, higher than my sight, high above my life. I will trust in you alone. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you, whom you love, I'll love, how you serve, I'll serve, if this life I lose, I will follow you, yeah, I will follow you, yeah. Light unto the world, light unto my life, I will live for you.
church, um, I was convicted, really, uh, with this, with this prophecy and with this study. I don't, I don't want you to think that this is something that I don't struggle with. I do. You know, every time, I mean, every day, it seems like there's a moment where I've got to make a choice. Do I follow Jesus or do I follow me? And sometimes, sometimes I have the victory. Sometimes I have the failure. Sometimes I have the failure, but I think our job is to not be satisfied with the failure. Don't act like you're earning it, because you're not. But don't be satisfied with the failure. Be changed. Be changed so you can experience and live what life is meant to be. Don't be satisfied with something less than the life that Jesus wants to give you. It takes time, I know that, and it takes practice, but it also takes being convicted by stuff like this by things that we see in scripture and we realize that God's not playing around here. This did happen and he saw it through clear to the end. He's not playing around when he, cared, when he talks about caring about you and wanting your life to the fullest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Father, we need your help, but we need each other's help. We need each other's help here. You're our father and we're your kids. and We need help from each other to hold us to this righteous standard, this holy standard that you have. Father, I ask that you'll intervene, that you'll help us to be patient with each other, but you'll also help us to be active in each other's lives, help strengthen each other, to carry each other, realize that there's nothing in our life that can be in our life that should be in our life that takes the authority away from you father give us strength give us courage above all father help us receive humility help us receive humility the knowledge that we are fearfully and wonderfully made but we need you every step of the way we thank you, Father, for the conviction that you can give us today. In Jesus' name, amen.